Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Um, there's a lot going on in this passage in Ephesians. And at first glance, it could be really very confusing. Uh, it could it has lots of layers. And so I want to uh, try to spend some time this morning just making sense of, of this passage. Uh, in the Greek, this passage uh, comes across in what we miss in English, which is this is actually very poetic. Uh, and so this is a theological poem that lays the foundation for the letter of Ephesians. It's right here at the very beginning, right after the greeting. And so Paul essentially writes a theological poem that sets the groundwork or the foundation for the argument that he's going to make in the letter of Ephesians. And the problem that Ephesians is dealing with in particular is the question of who is the gospel for? And that's a pretty big question, right? Uh, this, is the, this is the primary question, uh, this is the problem that the letter of Ephesians is trying to speak into, is this overarching question of actually who is this gospel of Jesus Christ for? Uh, now, that is a great question, one that is as relevant today as ever, but in Paul's day, it had a very specific flavor to it. Uh, and that is, the specific question was, is the gospel only for those uh, who are of Jewish background or is it also for Gentiles as well? Uh, that's the primary question. It's, it's uh, really a big debate among followers of Jesus. Uh, this question is, is uh, causing a big divide. Of course, we know nothing about this, right? We don't know anything about something happening in the world that causes a divide in the church. Okay, you're picking up on sarcasm. I know you're, you're, you were up late a couple nights ago. All right, we're, we're, we're catching up here. Okay, so this is the problem that Ephesians is trying to solve. Now, spoiler alert, right? If we were to read the whole letter, we would find out that Paul announces that God desires to form a global, multi-ethnic community of people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That by faith, all may be made into new creations and experience the redemption that is made available to us through Christ's death on the cross. Amen right? That God's purpose is to form a global multi-ethnic community of people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This will come to be known as the church, the capital C church. Now, of course, uh, this idea that God wants to form a multi-ethnic global family under the lordship of Jesus Christ was a revolutionary idea to those who heard it for the first time, right? Uh, it's a revolutionary idea. In fact, uh, I think that it would be difficult to overstate how big of a deal this was in the early church. Uh, I think it's hard to overstate how big of a deal the implications are even for us today. And so, the, in fact, there were very righteous and religious leaders who were convinced that it was a stain upon the gospel of Jesus to allow anyone in except those who were from the tribe of Abraham. That is, the, that is ethnic Israel, right? So I want you to hear that again. There were righteous religious leaders who felt convinced 
and passionately that it was a stain upon the gospel that anyone would be let in except those who belong to ethnic Israel. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, insists, in fact, that the gospel is open to anyone who will come to Christ by faith. And in fact, God's purpose in the world, what God is essentially doing, is inviting unto God's self a multi-ethnic global community that will coalesce and find unity in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to look at the flow of thought here, because the flow of thought kind of goes, kind of starts small and then goes big until it ends cosmic. Okay, that's where we're headed in this passage. So uh, let's kind of look at the flow of thought. The passage begins with a whole bunch of us and we statements. Us and we. Okay, verse 3. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he destined us for adoption as his children. Verse 7, in him we have adoption through his blood. Also verse 7, forgiveness for our trespasses. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. That is is a whole bunch of insider talk, right? And as Gentiles removed from this kind of history by thousands of years, we read the us and the we's as, yeah, that's me. But in the original context, it would not have been that. It would have been us and we, insider, ethnic Israel, insider baseball. It's a whole bunch of insider talk. But that all makes a gigantic transition in verse 13, right? In verse 13, we get this huge kind of opening up of what is available to all of the world now. Because Paul gives this important phrase in verse 13. Don't miss it. In him, you also. Okay, do you hear it? Do you hear the kind of tr- the, the move, the, the, what's happening? It's going from this kind of small group and it's expanding and getting bigger, right? It's we, us, we, us, redemption, forgiveness, all this kind of stuff is available to us. And then verse 13, in Christ, you also. It's actually quite a beautiful expansion of who this good news is. Is actually for. Um, in a world being sorted out by all the things that divide us, I wonder if a really good invitation is to just look at someone with whom you disagree and say the words in your heart or out loud. In Christ, you also. What would that do? I mean, how how would that change our posture, our approach, if we just had the humility of heart to say, In Christ, you also. That in Christ, all these things are also made available to you. Now, I've said this before, but I think it, it bears repeating anytime we're on this subject, and that is this. Uh, we're looking, I'm looking around the room and we're all looking pretty Gentile, right? So like by and large, there's a bunch of Gentiles in the room right now. Imagine the irony of a bunch of Gentiles getting in a group, deciding who's in and who's out. 
Are you with me? And yet, lots of our energy as the capital C church, the Gentile church, has been spent on deciding who's in and who's out. Who is this gospel for and who is it not for? Right? And yet the irony seems to be lost on us. So I just want to put that out there and recognizing, again, we can't, it'd be difficult to overstate how big of a deal this is in its original context. It's difficult to overstate how big the implications are for us even now. And so uh, I wonder if we could look at someone that, that we dis, with whom we disagree and say, in him you also. That all the things that I have received in Christ are made available to others and even the others that I would never dream of. In him you also. Now God purposes to bring himself unto God's self a covenant family. And, and when I say covenant family, I want you to think Abraham, right? Kind of think this, this ethnic Israel, the seed of Abraham. But then through Jesus... Anyone can be adopted into this family. This is the whole reason for the story of Abraham. Uh, I will make a great nation out of you. That's Israel. But then from your seed, the whole world will be blessed. So Jesus comes out from the seed of Israel. But through Jesus, now all of us can sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, right? We can sing that song because of Jesus. That in Christ, all of us by adoption have been folded into God's covenant family. Okay. And that, that means then, ultimately, the work of Jesus has brought forgiveness for even the most grievous offenses. And it has brought grace that will help us live rightly before God. And it's quite a beautiful thing to consider uh, when we will recognize it and see it in this way. In fact, let me say this. The gospel is not scandalous because of who it leaves out. The gospel is scandalous because of who it lets in. <laughs> I'm just going to let that sit. Uh, that's my sermon. And lucky for you, I prepared a second one. So here's my second sermon. Yes, yeah, we had a clap in the front row. Amen. Okay, so here's my second sermon. Uh, same passage, so I won't read it again. Uh, but in this passage, there is also echoes of a larger story, uh, which is to say that this passage echoes the story of the Exodus. Uh, do you remember the story of the Exodus where this Abrahamic nation, the nation of Israel, was enslaved in Egypt? And, and through miracles, including the Passover, uh, God frees uh, the Israelite folks, the Hebrew people, from slavery in Egypt. That's the Exodus story. The ten plagues, all that. Think back to Sunday school. You remember that. So that's the Exodus. And the Exodus is not so much about um, the, the plagues or all of that as much as it is about the formation of a new people. Uh, of, of a, it's an identity-forming event, which is why, kind of like Israel is always looking back and saying, "This is this is the God who freed us out of slavery." Right? It's like this this formational part. It's part of their identity, and so this story coming out of that actually echoes back. Okay, so Paul talking about Jesus wants to echo back to this identity-forming event for the people of Israel. 
And, and here's, here's, here are the, there's three kind of things of how it echoes. First, God promised Abraham that a nation would be formed from his descendants. That nation was Israel. But the promise is bigger than that, right? The promise was also that all the world would be blessed through Abraham and by God's plan for salvation. So the beginning of the poem makes clear that included in this plan of salvation, this grand exodus that God intends to bring to bear through his son Jesus, included in that are Gentile folks as well. And all the Gentiles in the room said, amen. amen. That's the first thing, right? It's like, we kind of, it gets bigger. The second thing, and how this echoes the Exodus story, is that God saved Abraham's nation from slavery in Egypt through the Exodus by way of the Passover. And the Passover in particular is this part of the story where the blood of lambs was spread on the doorframe so that the angel of death would pass over that house. And now, through Christ, Paul says, through this kind of echoing in this passage, now all of those who call on the name of Jesus in faith are rescued from slavery, from sin, by way of Jesus' death and resurrection. So there was a freedom from actual kind of physical, tangible slavery. But then Paul wants to say there's actually a greater slave master in our lives. That we might be, live as a free people, but we, all, but we are subject to a greater slave master of sin. And God's ultimate plan is to also free us from that kind of slavery through the person of Jesus. Amen. Right? Through the redemption of Jesus. So that's the second kind of way that it's echoing this Exodus story. And then third, after, after the Exodus, Israel wandered in the wilderness toward the promised land of Canaan, which they eventually inhabit. Now, and I want you to catch this, now the church, the capital C church, wanders toward the promised land. But what is the promised land? The promised land is now all of creation. And so we wander toward new creation, the world made new in Christ. So all of creation has been turned into the promised land of God through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whose salvation is actually cosmic on scale, in scale. Now, if you think I'm just making this up and it's like, oh, kind of grandiose ideas from Pastor Andy again, right? Uh, look at verse 10. Verse 10 points us to the cosmic nature of God's salvation, where he says, a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, him is Christ, to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you see and do you understand the cosmic nature of that verse? At the fullness of time, God's plan is to bring all all things into unity in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. Things in heaven, things on earth, all things brought under and into unity with Christ. Remember, God's plan is to create a global multi-ethnic community under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what God is up to in the world. And all are invited into this family through adoption by faith in Jesus Christ as we wander toward, and sometimes clearly, sometimes not so clearly, right, in our wandering, as we wander toward the redemption of all things 
including new creation. This is actually quite a different story than uh, believe the right things so that after you die, you can float up into the sky rather than go down into the ground, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. And so it's like, actually, it's, it's more holistic, it's more embodied, it's more beautiful, right? Uh, it, verse 10 points us to the reality that the working out of God's plan for salvation is that all things in heaven and earth would be brought into unity under Christ. This is God's activity in the world, bringing all things in unity under the lordship of the good King Jesus Christ. And everyone is invited to experience that forgiveness, that redemption, and that grace. And so as we kind of head into a new year, I wanted to share this good news gospel because this is the truth of the gospel. This is the very beautiful story that we call good news, right? Did you know that the word gospel means good news? And so when we share the gospel, it better be good news. And it better sound like good news to everybody, <laughs> Not just to those who are well off or to those who are well positioned in society or anything like that. The good news, the gospel needs to be good news for everybody. And the good news is that in Christ, all have been brought under and invited into this family of God. So that we together might head toward the redemption of all things, new creation. Or, as Paul will say, all things in unity under Christ, all things in heaven and on earth. And so in the new year, as you think about goals, as you think about pursuits, as you think about resolutions, whatever you call them, I invite you to make sure that you have this in your consideration. What are the ways in which my goals can begin to align with the activity of God in the world? Right? What are the ways in which my pursuits, my personal things that I want to be up to, can be in alignment and congruent with the workings of God in the world? Right? And so part of that might be taking better care of my body. That's in alignment with God's care for the world, because ultimately God's plan is to redeem my body, not to ditch it and then my soul fly away. You're with me? Oh, I'm getting spicy now. Okay. <laughs> Right? So, so like, there might be this kind, of, this kind of sense of, like, I just need to, I need to take better care. I need to exercise more. Like, you can still include those things, but include those or think about them, frame them according to what is God's activity in the world. Right? Whatever it might be, we can always kind of make connections to this, this goodness of God and God, what God's working out in the world. So there you go. There are two New Year's sermons for you. And uh, I want to say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table. Uh, gracious God, we are uh, thankful for the opportunity to gather together today. And uh, even as we gather, we have things on our hearts and minds. Um, we certainly have um, our own challenges or burdens that maybe we carry that are heavy on our hearts today. We also carry, God, the burden of our friends and neighbors in Boulder. We're thinking about them today. Many of us still face incredible fatigue from this pandemic, recognizing that there's a lot of disease around us. Maybe we heard news over the holidays of 
friends or family members that are sick. And so God, we, uh, we come to you today uh, just asking that you would uh, fill our hearts, that our, our very selves, our very souls would be so filled and infilled with the Holy Spirit that we might be encouraged, that we might have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, one of which is joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. God, we need these things in our lives, in our culture. We always need them, but it feels like this particular cultural moment, we need them more than ever. And what the world needs and what our culture needs is a is the church, the body of Christ, that will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And so God, help us each one as we pursue you and as we pursue goals and resolutions, as we think about uh, and as we reflect on this new year. God, I do pray that we would keep close to mind the ways in which you might want to form us and shape us, the ways in which we might be able to uh, partner with you in your work in the world. And so God, encourage us today, especially be with us in a few moments as we gather around your table. We pray, God, that you would, your Holy Spirit would be active among us uh, to form us and shape us into your likeness, to speak to our hearts, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.